When fixation becomes legal irrationality. You're listening to the Planning, Environment and Property podcast, brought to you by the members of 39 Essex Chambers. I am John Pugh-Smith, barrister, mediator and Norfolk resident. As a public lawyer, while one sometimes includes a ground of irrationality as part of a judicial review challenge, one knows that in most instances, either reliance upon it will not be required because of some lesser error, or the judge will discourage you from going there. It's a high bar to be crossed and one that is rarely vaulted over. Therefore, it is with uh, pleasant surprise that so far this year, not just one, but two planning court judges have upheld this ground and by judges not normally known for such robustness. So let's look at the two cases. The first on the 20th of January is the Queen on the application of United Trade Action Group Limited and others against Transport for London and the Mayor of London. Here, Mrs Justice Lang upheld judicial review challenges brought by the London taxi trade against Transport for London's street space plan, its guidance and a specific scheme on Bishopsgate known as the A10 order. Whilst TfL has now lodged an appeal and seeks an expedited hearing, for now, the following trenchant comments of Mrs Justice Lang remain as a strong judicial rebuke. Of the five grounds of challenge um, which have been pleaded, irrationality appears towards the end of her lengthy judgment covering some 85 pages. She states the following. In my judgment, the flaws identified were symptomatic of an ill-considered response which sought to take advantage of the pandemic to push through on an emergency basis without consultation, quotes, radical changes, quotes, plans to transform parts of central London into one of the largest car-free zones in any capital city in the world, and to, quotes, rapidly repurpose London's streets to serve an unprecedented demand for walking and cycling in a major new strategic shift, close quotes. These being the mayor's statements on the 6th and 15th of May last year. The judge goes on to state the following. The scale and ambition of the proposals and the manner in which they were described strongly suggest that the mayor and TfL intended that these schemes would become permanent once the temporary orders expired. However, there is no evidence to suggest that there will be a permanent pandemic requiring continuation of the extreme measures introduced by the government in 2020. In my judgment, it was both unfair and irrational to introduce such extreme measures if it was not necessary to do so, when they impacted so adversely on certain sections of the public. The impact on the elderly and disabled who rely heavily on the door-to-door service provided by taxes uh, is described earlier in my judgment. She also refers uh, here to the adverse uh, impacts identified in the EQRA, the subject matter of a separate um, episode of this podcast series. She goes on to say, taxis are a form of public transport. Travellers may wish to travel by taxi for legitimate reasons. Taxis have been valued by the NHS and vulnerable groups during the pandemic because they are safer than trains, buses and private hire vehicles. She says... This, I conclude that the decision-making process for the plan, guidance and A10 order was seriously flawed and the decisions were not a rational response to the issues which arose as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Accordingly, the judge concluded that quashing orders rather than declarations were appropriate because of the nature and extent of the unlawfulness which she had identified, uh, which um, affects not only taxi drivers, but also their passengers. She remarked that the plan, the guidance and the A10 Billingsgate orders all need to be reconsidered and substantially amended in the light of her judgment, although she went on to point out that to reduce disruption, and she was directing that TF and the mayor could turn their minds to this task on a provisional basis, as there would be a stay and a delay whilst they pursued their appeal. If the appeal was unsuccessful, then they could apply for further time if required to finalise the proposed revised plan guidance and order before the quashing orders took effect. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, it's anticipated uh, because there's a whole um, clutch of uh, other challenges being brought uh, that rely wholly and partly on the UTAG judgment uh, that uh, the hearings are all dealt with during the month of June, or at least there is some sort of outcome on the UTAG challenge. So let's turn now to the second case in which judgment was handed down by Mr Justice Holgate on the 18th of February. Known um, colloquially as Norfolk Vanguard, the case's full title is the Queen on the Application of Pierce against the Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Here, the Secretary of State had granted a DCO application for an offshore wind farm uh, said to be one of the largest in the world. Known as Norfolk Vanguard, it was and is intended to lie adjacent to another huge proposed wind farm, Norfolk Boreas. The issue in uh, this litigation was the failure by the Secretary of State to undertake a cumulative assessment of the grid connection impacts of the two projects, which even the promoters of Vanguard um, had acknowledged um, in their own environmental statement as significant. Indeed, the site selection process had been based on the co-location of the two projects, including uh, the actual receiving point at a, near a village called Nectum in mid-Norfolk. Now, the approach of the examining authority and the Secretary of State had only become apparent with the publication of the examiner's report, the matter not having been the subject of discussion at the examination. The relevant paragraph from the report stated, quotes, Finally, whilst the Norfolk Boreas offshore wind farm has been included in the applicant's LVIA cumulative impact assessment, the examining authority have not considered it in this part of the assessment due to the limited amount of details available. The examining authority considers that it would be most appropriate for the cumulative impacts to be considered in any future examination in Norfolk into Norfolk Boreas. Now, the Secretary of State followed this line in his decision. He stated, The examining authority notes that while the applicant's landscape and visual impact assessment, cumulative assessment, included the proposed Norfolk Boreas offshore wind farm, it was not considered by the EXA because of the limited information available on that project. The EXA concluded, therefore, that this matter should be considered in the future as part of the examination of the development consent application for the Norfolk Boreas offshore wind farm. Now, it was in this regard that Mr Justice Holgate found this approach to be unlawful. He states, the defendant unlawfully deferred his evaluation of those effects simply because he considered the information on the development for connecting Boreas to the national grid as, quotes, limited. 
The defendant did not go so far as to conclude that an evaluation of cumulative impacts could not be made on the information available or that it was, quotes, inadequate for that purpose. He did not give any proper reasoned conclusion on that aspect. I would add that because he did not address those matters, the defendant also failed to consider requiring Norfolk Vanguard Limited, or NVL, to provide any details he considered to be lacking, or whether NVL could, could not reasonably be required to provide them under the 2009 regulations as part of the ES for Vanguard. So essentially, this was not a case which, unlike so many, could be defended on the basis of questions of planning or expert judgment. Indeed, the judge went on to find that the decision was irrational because it arose from the Secretary of State's deferral of the evaluation of cumulative effects of both projects. It had been common ground between the parties that the nature and level of information on the two projects for the purpose of assessing landscape and visual impacts of the substation development at Necton uh, were essentially the same. Mr Justice Holgate observed that the defendant must have proceeded on the basis that the information on the impacts of the Vanguard project was sufficient for him to be able to evaluate and weight that matter. The decision was therefore flawed by an obvious internal inconsistency. It was an unfortunate result for the promotion of the scheme, who, as a judge had pointed out, had expressly catered for any lack of detailed information on Boreas by proposing a Rochdale envelope approach, in other words, looking at overall parameters of development. There was no basis to do anything but to cross decision because of the fundamental nature of the legal error. Now, the issue of relief is also interesting because both the Secretary of State and the developer as the interested party contended that the outcome would have been the same, even if cumulative impacts had been taken into account. The judge, however, rejected this argument and notes that because of the engagement of European law, because of the EIA considerations, therefore, um, he wasn't going to exercise his discretion under section 31, subsection 2A of the Senior Courts Act 1981. So, in conclusion, now that the judicial breaks have been applied to two significant proposals, what are the lessons to be learned? Indeed, perhaps it's no more than this, that where there is a fixation in trying to push through the underlying objective, inadequate consideration has been given to their procedural processes. So, whatever the outcome of the retaken decisions, uh, it is to be hoped, indeed expected, that in the wider public interest, greater endeavours will be applied next time. And indeed, for those of us who love and respect uh, the Norfolk landscape and at the same time recognise and embrace sustainability and renewable energy, it is to be hoped that a more appropriate balance is struck. That is for others to determine. Thanks for listening. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.